This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. Guys, we are all on the show, and we are all originally in our normal spots. Hey, uh, it is the first time in probably over a month that all of us oh, are on the show together and in the same normal locations. We're all in Eugene. Uh, that is a very good thing. So let's let's get to this Friday pod. Um, previous show, we discussed a lot of the positives that we look at this roster going into 2022, and there are a lot of them. Um, but today we're going to dive into the other side of that discussion and the concerns that we have with Oregon football. Um, and I, I don't know if there's necessarily uh, a gazillion of them, but there probably feels like a little bit more than your normal Oregon football offseason. And my first question to you guys is, I, I think part of that's just because of the coaching change. There's When there's a change in leadership and then all the, the coaches behind the head coach are replaced as well, that in of itself is a question. It's, you know, I, I think Dan Lanning will be good. I think the staff will be good, but we just don't know what, Oregon football in 2020 will look exactly uh, like we will we, get a glimpse of it in spring ball, but there's a lot of uncertainty of what Oregon football will be in 2022. I think it will get to position groups that we're concerned with, but the three of the three of the primary ones have been hit by transfers after the coaching. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Some of this has to do with that. Um, you know, I think, I think there would have been roster turnover regardless in a couple yes. of spots, but I think some of it like, and we'll get, I don't, I don't want to jump and get every, you know, get to all of it, but there's a couple positions where it's like, I don't know if, if what, what does DJ James or Jason Jones, what do those guys do if there's not a coaching change? Are those guys still here? Um, so, and those are positions, cornerback and interior defensive line that are near the top of my list of position groups I'm most concerned with. So yeah, absolutely. That has played a role in kind of shaping this. Um, and I think that's expected. And actually, I would say like, I feel probably like the roster is in better standing now following a coaching change than, Typically, I mean, they haven't had quite the same mass exodus or turnover. I mean, you think about this. This is a this is different even than, you know, when Mario Cristobal took over for Willie Taggart and that there's no there's like there's no continuity from a coaching perspective. I was thinking about this yesterday of like when we get to speak with some of the veterans on this team is to ask, OK, you can say you guys were here when Mario Cristobal took over for Willie Taggart. So that's a coaching replacement. but the entire staff has shifted. I mean, yeah. no, there's almost no familiar faces in the HDC. And so for, for only, you know, a couple of players to, to decide to enter the portal and stick with it is I think actually fairly admirable, but certainly has played a role in kind of some of the, the concerns we're going to have on this show. I would argue that it's the main reason as to why we're having this type of show is this coaching change, because I obviously there would be attrition if, if uh, just at the end of the year, it happens to every program. Um, but for Oregon to have this type of exodus in terms of their coaching staff and for kids, like Eric just mentioned, for kids to mostly stay around is really impressive. Um, but it's a whole, it's a completely different staff. 
And there's, like Eric just said, there's nobody new. It's like Don Johnson is like the only guy who's still there who was there from three months ago. Um, and so for Oregon, uh, usually in years past when, when coaches have left, it's been okay because um, it hasn't been their head coach, which is always a nice thing to have. And they've had recruiting classes coming in that seemingly can take control of like the missing pieces, people who leave for the draft, people who transfer, whatever. They have this top 12, this top 10 recruiting class that's coming into the next year that everybody can say, well, this position is of, of need. And would you look at that? There's three dudes, three four-star prospects coming in who can fill that role potentially of a needed wide receiver, of a defensive lineman, whatever the case may be. And Oregon doesn't have that this year, at least not yet. And it probably not at all. Like most realistically, gathering, gathering a top 10, top 12 classes they've done in the past is, I wouldn't say impossible, but it's, you know, it's borderline. It's there. So for Oregon, when they will get, to, again, like we said, we'll get to the positions of need. But I just, like right off the top of my head, defensive line, you know, wide receiver, um, maybe even offensive line, just depth. Um, Oregon has a recruiting class that does not have those things. Cornerback, too, um, at least not yet. And so for, for fans and for the program in general, uh, that's a tough thing to swallow because it's not an automatic guarantee in, in recruiting that you are, you are going to get somebody. It's not like in uh, professional sports where you can offer the most amount of money. Well, I guess you could technically, but uh, <laughs> we, don't, we don't get into that. <laughs> But it's a different it's a different method, and for Oregon to not have that like reassurance on the back end of like if people leave, then this recruiting class comes in. Um, that's that's tough to have, and that's the first time I've had that in a couple of years. Um, and it, you know, there's still the chance for Oregon to sign a good recruiting class, 100, percent because Lanning has accumulated a, a staff full of recruiting talent. But for right now. That's to me the biggest reason this roster and this program is a little is still in limbo after weeks later is because they've had solid rigidity in terms of everybody in their staff for the last four or five years and now they're all gone and they have to completely restart. And for the team to not be a real sinking ship and losing guys left and right to the portal, um, I think is impressive because they've lost dudes to the draft who should be going to the draft. You know, Devin Williams had a great year. Michael Wright's good. He doesn't have really anything else left to prove at Oregon. Obviously, gave on Thibodeau. But, they're like, and for DJ James and Jason Jones to only be, like, the true two true impact transfers, um, that's pretty impressive. And we'll see if that remains the same, if nobody else enters. I'm sure somebody will because it's just how it goes. But um, for Oregon to keep this amount of people in, it's 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 better than it could be. I think we'll see, Jared, some of the transfers probably after spring ball. To, um, sure. Like I, I, that just feels like the natural progression where guys give the new staff an opportunity. They get a feel for what they're they're playing for now or playing what system they're playing in, and then they see where they are on the depth chart, and then mm-hmm. guys leave. And it, it it could be some good players. I mean, you know, like it might be a case where look some some guys who should not normally be in college uh, because of the COVID eligibility year uh, have returned. And that could maybe push a player who's under them uh, from an eligibility standpoint to say, you know what? Like, I I don't want to wait another year. You know, these guys weren't supposed to be here this season and I I love them. They're my friends, but I want to play too. 
And, you know, that that could happen. That would not surprise me uh, in the slightest if we see some guys who maybe are regulars but decide to you know transfer out because they want an opportunity to play. Um, someone who did transfer in is Bo Nix at quarterback. And even though I, I think with the addition of Bo Nix at quarterback from Auburn, I, I, I think quarterback guys is a question. Um, I, I, I think you look at this roster, there's three guys. Robbie Ashford has transferred out. That leaves us with Bo Nix as a senior, um, Jay Butterfield and Ty Thompson, who will be redshirt freshmen. Jay Butterfield will be a third year uh, redshirt freshman. Bo Nix technically has an extra year of eligibility, but he's already indicated he'd like to just play one more season of college football. He was listed as a junior for at Auburn this past season. But even with Bo Nix's starting experience at Auburn, three-year starter, the freshman of the year back in 2019 in the SEC, I, I still think this is probably the biggest question uh, going into this football program is what does Oregon have at quarterback? Is it Bo Nix? Well, one of the two now two freshman quarterbacks uh, surpassed him during spring ball and fall camp. And will Bo Nix's addition lead to any other departures beyond Robbie Ashford? Yeah, you know, and quarterback is going to be an issue until it's not. That sounds like a really silly thing to say to start a segment, but that's sort of where my head's at is like for Oregon, you go back and you think about the last decade and there have been some really, really high-end players. And then there's also been the last couple of years, I think the difference between reaching some of these really outland, outlandish is probably the wrong way to describe it, but really high-end goals because that's what Oregon is shooting for every year now. Um, this last year, they won 10 games. They almost played. Um, you know, I played in the conference championship game. I think for most people, there was a, a level of disappointment with it, in part because of how it started. Um, but that's just the way it's going to be. And I think the quarterback position is the one that has really held Oregon back. I think there have been other positions, obviously, where they're they're lacking. And I still would argue that if you saw Oregon make a college football playoff appearance, but you know, they might have issues on the defensive line and that linebacker compared to elite SEC talent and elite talent across the country. Um, but the quarterback position is the, is the one that's most glaring and most obvious. And we've said it before. I'll say it again. I like the addition of taking a grad transfer or taking the transfer. I don't know if I love the player. I'm still not sold yet. I'm hoping that I feel better following spring ball um, because Bo Nix is somebody who's, I think, very polarizing for a fan base. You know, you, you go watch the highlights and it's some really, I mean, it's, awesome stuff. There's some like kind of Johnny Manziel, you know, moving around the pocket, finding players downfield stuff. And then there's some really frustrating. Why, why is he putting the ball up there? Why is that even being thrown kind of stuff? So it's a tough spot. You know, it's, it's one where I think, I think Oregon should be more optimistic about Bo Nix in 22 than they were with Anthony Brown in 21, based upon the career to this point. Um, at the same time, what's the ceiling of that? I don't know because what the ceiling was in the SEC was, competitive beating Alabama one year, you know, beating LSU a couple of times. I mean, some impressive wins, but ultimately never winning division or even really being in the middle of division championships in the SEC, which I understand is a step up from the Pac-12. I think anybody listening understands that. So what's the ceiling with Bo Nix? I'm not sure it's high enough to get to the point where I think Oregon fans want it to get. So I do agree. I enter this year, you know, if I was doing a position ranking story, I would have quarterback near the bottom just because I feel like you have clear top end NFL caliber talent at other positions on this team. And while I think Bo Nix 
will probably have an opportunity to play in the NFL in some capacity. I'm certainly not sold he's got any longevity there. And for this position, you look at the guys from Oregon who at least have made it to the NFL, there is longevity there. Justin Herbert's going to be, I think, a longtime starter. Marcus Mariota, probably his starting days are behind him, but he, he had four or five seasons where he was in that position. So that, that, that kind of player is not on this team. That doesn't mean you can't get decent to above decent quarterback production. I just think that their question here at quarterback remains until it doesn't. And I think that will hopefully begin in 23 when some of these younger guys step up. And I actually had a question to throw to Jared. I know you're going to want to talk about Nix as well. I know we have similar opinions, but what are you guys thought on? Okay. You have three scholarship quarterbacks. Does Oregon need to go find a fourth? Is that like on your radar? Yeah. Maybe Ashford gone. Like three is three is a little shallow. Three is a little shallow. I was going to make that point as well. Um, yeah, you, you need a you need another guy just because if Bonix or whoever's the starter, if it's Ty or Bo or even Butterfield, if one of those guys go down, then you're suddenly down to two scholarship quarterbacks. Um, and I guess you could argue that it during the pandemic, if it is still continuing until fall of 22, um, if one of your quarterbacks tests positive or something like that, then you're down to one, and then you're looking at a really you know sketchy situation. And I, I mean, you know, Coach Lanning talked about this in one of his first press conferences. I think it was the signing day one where he's like, you know, we've had teams that, that carry four to five scholarship quarterbacks. Um, I think five is probably too many, but I think four is a sweet spot. Um, I think that's what, been, what Oregon has been doing the last few years. And I think that's been a, a good place to start. I think three is probably just one too, too little, excuse me. And in terms of Knicks and the potential and the quarterback room in general, um, I mean, it's really dumb for me to say, but quarterback is always going to be the most important position on the field. And you always want your strongest room to be the quarterback room, regardless. Um, you go through everybody who's won the national championship. They've had elite starting quarterback play, at least from a collegiate perspective, maybe not an NFL perspective. Um, and you look at the matchup that we have on Monday with, Stetson Bennett and Bryce Young. Stetson Bennett is maybe not an elite quarterback in general, but he is a, a very good collegiate quarterback. And Bryce Young might be one of those elite guys. He's certainly shown it at points. And so you're you're looking for a bare minimum to really compete is your Stetson Bennett. And whether or not that can be somebody who Bonex could turn into, um, played against, uh, that is yet to be seen. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic in terms of how Bonex can perform at Oregon, just because um, some. I, I feel like I've watched a bunch of Auburn games, and I feel like at one point their offense had kind of limited his production and his productivity and how he can perform, just because of their skill set and their um, their players available. But then again, you can look at what Oregon is returning, and other than the running back room, they kind of have the same flaws. So we'll see on that. I'm. I'm, I, I will go back to something that Matt said earlier, like at the end of our last segment about how people will probably wait until spring ball to leave. And then Robbie Ashford leaves this, this past week. I was surprised about that. Yeah. I really thought that he would wait until spring ball. Um, I think this is more of a personal note and being really sad that I can't watch him play baseball because he's, yeah. he's good. He's one of those athletic guys that you just love to watch. But uh, I, yeah, I really thought that he would kind of stick it out. 
and just see if he can make any impact on the quarterback room. Um, I still think he's immensely talented. Uh, this goes against my prediction that I think that I thought that Robbie Ashford was going to be a starter at one point during 2022. So got that one wrong. But uh, I, I, I suspect there's going to be more transfers, but probably not from the quarterback room after spring ball. Um, and if there are, that's that's really not a good thing for Oregon if they're down to two scholarship quarterbacks. So and that goes back to my original answer where I do think that they need to get at least one more guy and just have them solidified with four. A name that it's just pure speculation. Oregon, to my knowledge, is not even attached to him, um, but is three-star quarterback Joshua Wood out of the Seattle, Washington area, Graham Kapowson High School, um, state player of the year in Washington. Never lost a high school football game at any level. Was a two-year starter at varsity. Um, his team this year won the national championship at the high school level. Um, and he's kind of that, I think, the quarterback that you could get. Because you're not going to go and get with Bo Nix on the roster, with Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield on the roster. You're not going to go and get a five-star quarterback, even if there is one available, which I don't think there is. Um, but this is a guy that can throw and can run and has put up good numbers, and all he has done is win. And he was committed to Eastern Washington, but this senior year he's kind of exploded and more schools are starting to look at him. So that would be just a name that there's no connection right now to Oregon that I personally would love to see them to go after. I don't think – would you guys agree, like, if they go and add a quarterback, it has to be high school, right? It can't be a transfer. I, I think it does, in part because you don't want a collection of guys that are the same age because that just puts you behind the eight ball. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I know that everybody's, everybody's technically – two guys are technically redshirt freshmen, but by the time this guy would to get on campus, there'd be some separation. So, yeah, I would prefer that over a junior college guy. I mean, I, I, I also would say, like, it's also kind of like best available because if, if there's a guy theoretically who's right. going to be a sophomore in 22 who you think is – better than anyone on the current roster, which I don't think exists in the portal, then yeah, sure. Go grab them. But I mean, I don't know who, who, like Keaton Slovis or something like who, who, who do you no. want to get? I mean, there's like for the best available, you know, it's a pipe dream, but you still have Caleb Williams in the portal. Yeah. So that'd be the only dude, but right. yeah, I think going prep would be a much better idea than trying to get a, another portal guy, unless it's somebody who's like, um, you know, who's a, who just enrolled and is like, as a freshman who never played and is like, F this, I'm out, and then take one of those guys. But um, I think going from a recruiter, a prep guy, is much, much better of an idea for Oregon. Looking at the other positions on offense, are we all in agreement that even if Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell go pro, we're okay with the running back room because of Cardwell? Mm-hmm. Or is that a concern for any of you? It's not a major concern. I would be only concerned about some depth of like, you'd be looking at your number two and three guys who are totally unproven, but I feel pretty good about what Byron has shown. And I actually was, I don't want to be critical of his involvement the last couple of games, but it was notable that they didn't perform very well early in games where he didn't play much the last few. So I'd like to see a lot of Byron next year, assuming that there's opportunity for that. Cause if CJ and Travis both come back, some of that goes away. And that's part of why, honestly, like, not that I'm rooting for either of them to go away because they've had great careers, but like part of me would like to make sure that Byron has at least an opportunity to build off of a great freshman year. And it's not a year where 22, he's, you know, he should have way more carries in 22 than he did in 21. I'll put it that way. That's what, that would be my expectation. 
Yeah, I'm I'm not concerned about the running back room. Um, obviously, the, the two guys beneath Cardwell don't have any experience, really. But I still think that they're talented enough. And just what we've heard um, through like from players and coaches, it seems like they're going to be impact guys, just like Cardwell was. And Cardwell had really great moments this past year. Um, definitely someone who pretty easily locked up the 22 like starting running back if Fredell and Dye leave. But honestly, I, in my mind, it was after his Colorado game. Like that's like where he first broke out onto the scene. I'm like, oh, this kid has, he has something. So he has it. Um, yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm not concerned about that. Um, yeah, he didn't perform well in a couple of the games later towards the season, especially against Utah's. But it's all right. I, he's a true freshman. I think he's only going to get significantly better. I do have concern at receiver. Um, I do think that a starting lineup of Hudson, Thornton, and Franklin is very good. And Seven McGee as the fourth guy with Isaiah Bravard as the fifth and Crocker as the sixth is solid. It certainly could be a lot better, but it's solid. But after that, you have Josh Delgado who didn't play, didn't travel to the bowl game, didn't, I don't think was on any travel roster, um, didn't play at all this season. And then you have Lance Wilhoyt who wasn't around the program at all this season. We have no idea where he is. We have no idea what his status is with the team. Um, and I don't think you it's fair to really count on either of those two guys, unfortunately, to be a major factor in 2022. So you look at this and say, Oregon has six receivers. That's not good. They, they need more guys. And it's a, a weird position where I don't know if there's necessarily a legitimate bona fide superstar transfer that you can go and get. And I don't know if there's necessarily a legitimate bona fide superstar high school recruit that you can go and get. So it's it, they're going to have to get creative of finding players because, look, I don't think any of us doubt the talent of the three starters that we all think are going to start this team. But you can't play three receivers all season. You you need eight to, to 12, and they have six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the numbers kind of – yeah, the numbers are funky. I agree, Matt. Like I feel one through three is good. Um Four through six, I think the players all have upside. I don't really know anything about any of them, to be honest. Crocker, I know the most about, but that's in part because he's been around the longest. Um, Braveheart and McGee, basically. I mean, Braveheart has one catch, which, by the way, I believe on the roster still goes to Bennett Williams somehow. Bennett Williams still credited with a six-yard reception. Um, so we get that figured out because that was definitely wrong. But, no, I, I think um, – you know, and there's been some more, I think, a couple developments recently that are somewhat notable. Um, you know, Stephon Johnson backing off this commitment to Oregon. Yeah. Um, his dad saying in, in the Twitter spaces that basically Oregon, that was on Oregon's side, not on theirs. It's sort of interesting um, mm-hmm. because, like we said, depth is needed. Depth is at a premium. You have six guys right now. You know, if you had Stephon locked in, that's seven. I don't know what his upside is. And maybe they just, maybe they just didn't like him enough as a player. But at the same time, I'm sort of, Sort of, sort of surprised that he's not in the fold and not under consideration. Um, a couple of other names that have been kind of thrown around here. Jacob Cowing has since committed to Arizona. He's off the list. That was a guy I loved his film at Utah. Super explosive. Um, Wildcats are going to have some good receivers down there, obviously, with a couple guys in Oregon needed there. Tetero McMillan and then uh, and Cowing. Yeah, I know. Jared. It's weird, Jared. For no reason. The Jed Fish factor. Patriot legend, right? Patriot legend, Jed Fish. Yeah, thank you. That's what, that's that's what it is, and then a couple of others like that both had ties to Washington that are now kind of on the, we thought might be on the market. 
Billy McMillan has shored things up at Washington. Now that was maybe more of a message board hype dream. That was a name people had mentioned. And then uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Bernard, same high school, by the way, as a couple of Oregon signees and Sir Mills and Anthony Jones, but he's supposedly kind of leaning towards Michigan state right now. So, you know, if, if even just getting one of these names, I just mentioned these, that like, kind of three names would be interesting. Brendan Rice is still a name I think to know from Colorado, but like, you kind of are, you're looking around. I know we've all, Oregon has also been attached to Arliss Boardingham, which, by the way, is an all-name team. Love what a name! Love that. But uh, six, also not the body type you'd think for that. For yeah. some reason, not like a slot receiver. And it was like six five two thirty. That that name makes a lot of sense just from a body type perspective. But I kind of would. Prefer, I mean, I think you need to take two preps, and you probably need to take two grad you know, transfers to me. I think you need to add about four more. I think getting. Getting to nine to ten is is like minimum, and Oregon has the scholarships to do that, and they're in on some players that are worth it. But I'll be curious to see how this goes. I think this is a position group that really needs depth. I think you'd be absolutely fine if those three guys are your top three guys all season. I do, and we're talking about Franklin, Thornton, and Hudson. But boy, do you need some guys around those guys. I, I have no confidence almost in the group after him just because I haven't seen it, and. Really, like, we haven't even seen Thornton and Franklin play starting roles aside from the last three games, too. So it's not like those guys are for sure things. We're just going based upon kind of the upside and, and kind of what we know mm-hmm. from the prep recruits and some of what we saw late. But, yeah, no, there is there is need with this group. And offensively, to me, it's the biggest concern. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a, a lot recently. Um, it's the most pressing area of need for at least on the offensive side of the ball. Um, yeah, they just need a lot more depth. And I, I still I agree with both you guys with the starting three of, of Hudson, Thornton, and Troy Franklin. I, I like the potential there. I like the size, the skill sets that each of them have. They're all a little bit different. Um, and that's important to have on any offense as your wide receivers, not to just be carbon copies of each other. But, yeah, three to four more wide receivers is a must. Um, I think, yeah, probably two, two prep and two portal guys would be ideal, like you said, Eric. Um, I'm also not overly concerned about it at this point, mostly because there's still going to be dudes who want to transfer out after spring ball, like Matt brought up earlier. Um, so I think that's if, if Oregon doesn't get somebody in the next two to three months, um, I think that that isn't like you know a sign that the world is going to end on the on the wide receiver side of the ball. Um, there's still going to be an opportunity to go and get somebody who falls down the depth chart or just isn't, you know, isn't a big fan right now. Um, I think I, if my brain remembers correctly, which is saying a lot, I think that happened with Jamison Williams in Alabama, where after, or in spring ball, he opted out of Ohio State. And it's like, well, I'm fourth on the depth chart. <laughs> I'm going to Alabama. So, and that worked out pretty well with them. I don't expect Oregon to get somebody like Jamison Williams, but uh, those are the types of players who could still say like, I'm out of here after spring ball. So um, they need they need to attack it hard. Uh, the Stephon Johnson thing was a, a little concerning, um, but that is interesting that Oregon has already, and, and their offensive staff has already been like, has already gone through the tape and said like, no, this is, sorry, like you're not somebody that we want to have on this team. Um, and I like Stephon's tape. I thought he would just be a solid wide receiver. Nothing, nothing crazy. I don't know if he would have been um, like a, competing for a day one starting role probably not but i thought he would just at least be solid depth but for oregon to already establish like this is not a player that we want or you know, we want to look at other options is i think it's kind of impressive that they've already had that um, figured out on their on the back end but 
yeah, I think that's the most pressing need on offense, at least right now. Um, unless there's transfers or anything like that, wide receiver is uh, job number one. Now, I think a solution to, to part of the solution could possibly be moving Brian Addison from safety, where there is a logjam, where on yeah. the previous podcast we talked at length about how there's so much talent there. We don't know how they're going to play everybody. Um, Addison is well down the depth chart there. He has started games at receiver for Oregon in 20, was it 2018 or was it 2019 that 19, he, had, 19, he had a very solid season in, at receiver. Um, and one in which we thought going into 2020, he would become a breakout player in the Pac-12. So he, there is a little bit of foundation there with him at receiver that you maybe could move him over and that could help solve some of the log jam problems at safety while also helping the lack of depth at receiver. Um, I think it's an option you have to explore for, for certain. Um, and if crunch, you know, it gets to crunch time and you're really in a pinch, I think you probably have to move Spencer Webb from tight end to receiver. He's played that spot as well before um, he's, he's excelled in it a little bit. Uh, it's probably not his best position, but it does make a little sense, especially with the development of the freshman uh, tight ends behind uh, ahead of him already on the depth chart. I, I think it would help, you know, maybe get him on the field a little bit more. Um, so there are some solutions there, but I, I don't know if any of those really drastically change the receiver room. It gives you bodies though. Um, one player I, I would love to see Oregon add here is, and that's an in-state kid, Justice Lowe from Lake Oswego. He's committed to Utah, but he did not sign with the Utes. And since that signing period in December happened, um, he has landed offers from Notre Dame, from USC, Florida, Arizona State. Um, he He's kind of blown up the last couple of weeks or so. He just got added to the Polynesian All-American game. Um, it, 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 he's a player, I think, it's not necessarily it's you have to get him, but you have to go all in here and try and get him. I like that name. I was curious on the story there. That was a name that Oregon's previous staff got involved with right before signing day, before things kind of blew up, and then it was yeah. what's the involvement. I, I would be very curious on that. I, I want to um, – I actually want to just talk really briefly about the tight ends and a receiver production because I just did a story for the site of VIP story and kind of was blown away by their lack of production. This was this was the worst year by a tight end group in like decades by Oregon yes. from the receiving perspective. I know they're a young. I know part of it was the offense just moved away from the tight ends, but they didn't have a touchdown catch the last ten games. They didn't have a pass reception of more than ten yards the last six. Um, I mean, this group was this group was like averaging eight yards per catch for a season, which is really kind of mind boggling. But four years ago, they were averaging close to 17. Um, so, you know, I'm not trying to be too concerned because I do love the I really like the personnel in place. But maybe it's just systematic here, but they just didn't produce at all. And, and that was a little concerning. So I do go into 22. I know there's like the whole group could be back. And as you said, Spencer Webb could be playing receiver. DJ Johnson might stay on defense. Maybe Patrick Herbert and, and Cam McCormick can come back and help. I mean, I'm not suggesting all of that happens, but like there are bodies, there could be different positions here. I'm still like a, a, a little bit concerned. It's not a huge concern because I think these players are going to get better from true freshman year to sophomore year. 
but like the production just really wasn't very good. And I, I just think that needs to be said. So we don't go into the offices yeah. being like, Oh, the tight ends are fine. Well, I think the tight ends, we know who you've got there and I'm not concerned. I think those players are going to be good long-term players, but the production was actually pretty abysmal statistically from a pass receiving group. And I understand the, the response to that is going to be all quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. And I think that deserves a huge part is a huge part of it, but just notable, just, just look at the numbers. I mean, they yeah. were in their four losses. They basically had zero production from this group, like zero. And by the way, arguably their well, their biggest one of the year was at Ohio state. That was their best game to the tight end position. They almost had a hundred yards to tight ends. Maliki Madaba had the touchdown to seal it. So um, that's the thing I'm kind of aware of. I just wanted to inject that into the conversation a little bit because we kind of, I feel like we've glossed over the tight end and been like, oh, they're fine. Go back. Production was pretty, pretty bad, actually, in 21 at that spot. I, I mean, it was pretty bad. And you always kind of wondered as to why they weren't being used as often. Because I think the combination of Terrence Ferguson and Maliki Madaval is, are are it's really impressive, honestly. They're both like they're different tight ends, which is interesting for Oregon. Where Madaval is more who could could conceivably become more of like a blocking tight end. He's bigger, he's more physical, while Ferguson has a better catch radius, a better uh, you know, better speed, all of that. Um, and so you look at those two guys and you're like, wow, these are two two true freshmen who are starting, who are playing like 80 com- like percentage combined of the snaps for the tight end position. And yeah, they just never seem to get the ball um, after the first few weeks. And I, I, I don't know, maybe it was a subconscious thing. I was wondering like as to why they're not getting these guys the ball because they're both talented players. Um, but I think at one point, um, you know, quarterback has a lot to do with that and just getting everybody the ball. Um, Oregon might have had too many people to get the ball to. Um, I think Mike Pittman might agree with that. Um, so that's that was something that was an issue because you'd look at this at the box score at the end of the day and it's like 11 or 12 people caught a pass, which is great that you can get it to that many people and you have that many people that you trust to catch a football, but that's a lot. It's a lot of people. And I think what I would want to see from that tight end group going into next year is um, maybe just a, like a set – um, positional value for both Ferguson and Montevallo, where when Montevallo is in the game, you have this, he's a blocking tight end that goes out on short routes who gets 10 to 15 yard catches where Ferguson is a, um, a Jacob Breland type guy where he runs slants or excuse me, if he runs seams up the middle, um, he runs post deep posts where you can hit him in stride, like over the middle of the field. Um, Cause that's the player that I think he should be and should resemble and should emulate because he has similar skill sets and he'll continue to, to gain, gain muscle and learn the playbook and get faster and all these things. Both of them will. So I, I like the position group going forward, but yeah, they definitely did not produce, even though they, they probably should have last year. Um, and then after that, you know, Spencer Webb has been, I don't know. Did he have, like by the way, this is a joke we made in the press box. I don't think Spencer Webb had a single yard after catch all season. Like <laughs> no. Immediately every time. Yeah, and that's concerning. And you don't know what you're going to get out of DJ Johnson if he's going to stay on the defensive side of the ball or come back to tight end. I do like him at tight end. He's like really, really vital to their running game. This is the blocks that he throws out there, and he can every once in a while he'll sneak out for a pass like he did against Ohio State. But it, it's not necessarily something that you can rely on. Um, so while I like the tight end group as a whole, um, I, I, there's there's a lot to be left there and something that and, um, Oregon just needs to figure out how to 
get those guys into better use. Offensive line, everyone's back except for George Moore. Ryan Walk will be back, who has started games. Jackson Powers Johnson has started games. Dawson Jaramillo has played a bunch of snaps for Oregon. I, I don't think there's any concern here. Um, Depth-wise, talent-wise, long-term prospects-wise, uh, it, it, is there any concern? To, or can we quickly move over this position group? Yeah, I think we're pretty good there. I mean, it, the continuity is there. I think there are high-end players. I think they – I was a little underwhelmed against Utah, but I think the whole offense was pretty underwhelming there, so I don't know how much I want to pin on that group. But they did get beaten more than those games than you'd like to see. But, like, yeah, I mean – and also, we should note, like, even against Utah, that wasn't full strength with this offensive line. I mean, I right. think that I think people maybe overlooked the Ryan Walk injury a little bit because he was really, really so very good, vital to what they were doing. And then you lose him for the last five games of the season, and it, maybe that's their worst stretch from an offensive line all season. So, you know, I feel I feel really good about this group, and I think I think the fans should as well. You've got five starters. You've got Powers Johnson and Jarmelo as your sixth and seventh guy. There's plenty of candidates to develop to be guys eight and nine you know we'll see i think one thing i do want to get to defense because we're getting close to 40 minutes in here like we've been doing recently which is good because we've got a lot to talk about um but i think one thing i'm kind of curious about is will we see any continuation of a rotation kind of yeah. method that we saw under mirabal and crystal yeah. i'm guessing probably not anywhere near definitive of like a because you go look at the rep charts which by the way are going to be up on the story i'm putting up on duckcharacter.com today um but like they were they were playing all these guys twenty to thirty snaps, these backup guys every game. Is that a thing that continues with Adrian Clem? My guess is it's not, but certainly you've got the depth to to do something like that if you want to. But no, I'm not. I feel this this is the position probably on the entire team right now that I have the most certainty. Like the floor for this group is very high. I don't know what the ceiling is because these guys have been around a lot, but I feel about as secure about the floor of this group as any other. Yeah, I mean, for everybody to come back is huge. Um, I remember talking about how I thought that Oregon needed to head, head, hit the transfer portal in terms of offensive line depth just because you weren't sure who was coming back. And, you know, they could have been at, without a lot of guys who are really important to them and, you know, trusting, you know, first or second year dudes to, to come in and start right away. But returning everybody except for George Moore, um, you still have – Dawson and Jackson Powers Johnson and Jonathan Dennis and Marcus Harper, who will be both be coming back from injury, who are both talented individuals. Um, Kai Arneson, who was uh, on their travel team, backup, backup center. Um, and so I, I really like the depth that this unit has has now um, that, that, that they basically bring back their entire starting line that they've had the last couple weeks. And with TJ Bass coming back, that's huge. That solidifies their left tackle. Saw coming back solidifies their right tackle. And then you hopefully have Walk at the same level of health that he was for the, for half of the season. You know, Forsyth coming back. And then that right guard position could be a battle between a lot of people. Or it could just be Stephen Jones to take again. But you still would feel comfortable if if Jackson Powers Johnson wins that job. Uh, he, he showed a lot during the year that he's you know, a hard-nosed physical guy who can get out along the perimeter and has great speed and great hands, heavy hands. I love when people use that term because it makes – it's silly, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, and he's he's a lot of fun to watch up there too. But I'm also interested to see how Jonathan Dennis comes back from injury because um, you had heard a lot about him before he, before he was hurt. And um, he's just somebody that, that I have thought that could make an impact. And I thought that 
2022 was going to be, or 2021 was going to be that year, but he was hurt. And now in 2022, he's got a lot of positional depth. So I could see somebody transferring out of this uh, group, but I, I do really like the depth. And like Eric said, the floor is really high. What their ceiling is, I'm not sure. They might have, they might have hit it already, like in terms of their games against Washington or Colorado and, and, and uh, not Utah's, but that that is a really good unit that will solidify Oregon's offense for next year. Defensive line, they bring back Popo Amave, Brandon Dorless. Um, both those guys are one and two in the Pro Football Focus grades for interior defensive linemen in the Pac-12 for 2021. They've now added um, Sam Tom Tamiani from Washington, who was the fifth best interior defensive lineman in the Pac-12. So the the I think the middle of the D-line for Oregon is straight up loaded. We haven't even talked about Keon Ware Hudson, who started a couple games, Christian Williams, who was a key piece to this team as well. Um, they're adding three guys along the defensive line in uh, the recruiting class. Uh, Braden Swinson is back as well. Uh, Jake Shipley. I, I think this group is pretty darn set to be a really elite unit. The only question I have is who's kind of the, the, the player or players that generate the pass rush off the edge like Kayvon Thibodeau did. And it's unfair to, to ask anyone to replicate 100% what Kayvon Thibodeau did. But you could ask three or four guys to come together, replicate that. And I think that's the only question. We know Braden Swinson's a really good pass rusher, but anyone else who emerges, I think that's probably the biggest question for Oregon's defensive line is who, for me at least, who emerges as that pass rusher? That It's, it's a critical piece. Yeah. No, the interiors look so different than it did in the bowl game because you didn't have Popo, you didn't have – Keon War Hudson, and now you're adding, like you said, Sam Taimayani. I'm also not sure on my confidence on that name pronunciation, Matt. We need to we need to start getting getting on that research because that might be a name we're saying a lot. But just just the, those three players being re you know I guess added to the fold there for 22, it totally changes the complexion of things. I mean, we were we were talking with real concern about this position group a couple of weeks ago because yeah, it wasn't yeah. clear what Dorless was doing. Popo wasn't clear what he was going to do. Jason Jones had just entered the portal. Obviously, they didn't have Sam from Washington. That's what I'm going to call him for now. Um, they didn't have him in the fold, big Sam. Um, and so there was concern there. But I don't know how many additions you even need to make now. I mean, because we were talking not that long ago about, like, you might need to take two or three interior bodies just to fill it out. I don't think that's the case. You've added one grad transfer from big Sam from Washington. And you've filled it out with some guys coming back because, let's be honest, Dorless and Popo are awesome in the middle. That gives you two frontline guys. Tamani's a third one. Keanwar Hudson was really good at times last season. Like, I feel great about that four. I mean, and, and that's not even mentioning a Christian Williams or a Tawabi Pody who was a rotational piece for most of the season. Um, like, even a Keanu Williams who was a player who, towards the end of the year, was being asked to kind of help a little bit more. I, I, I think – Collectively, I feel good about the interior, and I'm with Matt though. Like the, the the concern is the edge there. Who who can get after the pass rush? You know, who or who can get after the quarterback? I said should say, um, Dorless is a component of that without question. You know, he, he doesn't have a lot of sacks to his name, but he was very involved in getting to the quarterback and making life difficult um, in terms of quarterback pressures, in terms of 
you know, hitting the quarterback, but maybe not getting credit for a sack. Um, it's funny, almost every photo of Brandon Dorless we have on DuckTerritory.com, I think we have about half a dozen, are him rushing a quarterback with his hands extended. That's kind of the image of what I see from him is he was in the backfield a lot. He didn't make a lot of plays mm-hmm. in terms of tackling, but he was very disruptive. So he's a component. But you're right, off the edge, replacing Kayvon is impossible. Collectively, I think they have the bodies to do some of it. Um, but, like, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't even think there's really needs to hit the portal there either. I, no. I, I mean, I think you could. I mean, you certainly could adv- advance yourself here. But, like, Mason is back, you know, well, whatever position you want to call that. You know, I think it's going to be interesting to see how some of these guys are utilized. Where do they fit positionally in, in Dan Lanning's new defense? Um, but, like, Adrian Jackson's a name we haven't mentioned much. DJ Johnson at times has been really impressive off the edge. Um, Trevin Maai is not a pass rusher, but I still – we talked about him a little bit in a previous podcast. I still really like that guy as a as a long-term fit, especially in run plays. So right. there's certainly a lot of bodies, but there is – I think there's legitimate concern and question of, like, who, where are you generating your pass rusher? Right. That's the biggest issue for me. I think the interior line has been solidified in this last week um, with everybody coming back or getting talky because that's what his Twitter handle is. There you go. That's better. So, uh, getting him from Washington. Um, you know, you go through his stats and a lot of people like to point out that he doesn't have a tackle for loss. And I look at that as that's what interior defensive linemen kind of do. They're not supposed to really get sacks or a lot of tackles for loss. Um, obviously, you want to see them because that means that you're an elite uh, defensive tackle, an elite interior edge or an interior lineman. Um, but, you know, he still had 43 tackles last year. And that probably helped the fact that Washington's run defense wasn't great. So people were just continuously pounding the ball up the middle on them, but he's still going to be an impact guy for Oregon, um, whether he starts or whether he's first off the pine, that's really big for Oregon, just in terms of depth and fresh legs and all that. Um, I think you need to keep Brandon Dorless on the interior. I think that's where he is most impactful and, and disrupts the most. Um, but the edge rushing for me is somewhere where I think that Oregon, if they, sh- if they have the opportunity should hit the transfer portal for somebody. If somebody comes out and is um, an above average edge rusher, which is hard in the portal, usually it's more skill guys um, because uh, impact edge rushers are few and far between. And if they find a spot, then they usually like to stay there. But if there is that opportunity, I do think that Oregon should take that that chance and try to go court him to come to, to come to Eugene. Um, I like Braden Swinson. I like Jake Shipley. I like Trevor Mai, but I don't think, any of those guys really can set the edge and become an elite pass rusher just yet. Um, we saw during the time where Kayvon Thibodeau was out this past year, Oregon's pass rush was virtually non-existent. And in order for Oregon's defense to be successful, I think, especially with their cornerbacks in the shape that they are right now, they have to get interior pressure and pressure with just four guys, four to five guys. They can't be sending five to six dudes every time and blitzing their linebackers and leaving the middle of the field wide open. So I think that, that if they if they have the opportunity to hit the transfer portal and get an impact guy, they must. Um, other than that, I, I do feel confident about the defensive line, especially the interior. But again, like you guys have said, I'm, the edge rushing is going to be really important. Off the edge, um, and Eric, you made a good point. We don't really know yet how to describe these players. They could be defensive linemen. They could be linebackers. Um, Mace Funa, Adrian Jackson, and Trevin Maai are, are three guys that played quite a bit um, on defense in 2021. I, I think they all had bright moments. They all had moments where they probably needed to get better. Um, you look at 
Jabril McNeil, Terrell Tillman, Brandon Buckner, three more freshmen in 2021 that played a lot more than I think any of us were probably expecting going into the season. Injury probably forced some of these guys into bigger roles, and then they ultimately just had to play him because they they played beyond their four games and um, could not redshirt anymore, so might as well well play them. Um, You add Anthony Jones, who is a Texas commit, who flipped to Oregon on signing day. Uh, Navarrete and and Jonathan Flo have come off red shirts. There's a lot of guys here, but I I don't know if, uh, aside from, honestly, Mace, there really isn't anyone here that's solidified their roles. And that right there is a concern for me. I'm still on the Trevin's pretty good train. So that would be, and I don't know. I, Slip, I, he played quite a bit. So yeah, I, yeah, you're right. I, I like I, Trevin, but he's I mean, a, I should include he's a rundown guy. Like yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. I'm Great at setting edges. Love, yeah, love that. I, I feel good about him there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I'm just looking like from a pass rush perspective. It's like trying to replace Kayvon Thibodeau's production by, with three or four people. Yeah. But, but Buckner had moments early as a pass rusher, um, a lot of these young guys play a lot of special teams or kind of just mop up downs towards the end of the season. Um, we don't have a great idea. I would have loved to see Navarrete available. He was out. Um, yeah. I, I, I think there's a ton of, there's a ton of names here and this is a group where, yeah, I'm concerned about the top end. I don't know about the depth part being a concern because they have so many bodies. So a lot of just kind of let's wait and see after spring and we'll have a better idea. Cause I, I really don't know what the shakeout is going to be. Again, like Matt and I have both said, positionally, what exactly Dan and company want from, you know, what a body type fits, you know, a, a certain position group as, a, as opposed to another. There are guys that are going to be reshuffled, so it's kind of hard to make too many predictions in terms of positionally. But, like, I think some a couple of guys are going to emerge here. I, my, my real concern, like, just to expedite some of this uh, on defense is really just corner. I, I'm, I'm kind of petrified of that group, to be honest with you. I I mean that's maybe too strong of a word, but I, I don't know, man. I, I, I that this is about as slim pickings as you've seen from a, a corner room at Oregon in a long time. I ran through this not that many podcasts ago, but like Oregon has kind of consistently had a couple of guys that would I don't know if you want to call them alphas, but you could definitely call them kind of veterans that came in. They they had experience. They were good players typically early on in their careers. They you know they and then became veterans and. and a lot of these guys started two to three to four years. There's like kind of none of that right now. Maybe this is the start of the Tricos Bridges and Dante Manning pair as long-term starters at Oregon. Um, I think that's what would be maybe best just because they've been here the longest. But I don't, I mean, I don't know exactly what Oregon has in those two guys. And that's concerning. And then what's even more concerning is after those guys, I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, they're all guys that were basically spot down. I mean, Avante Dickerson was a spot down kind of guy this last year. He played more at the end of the year when he was needed to. Um, but I think he finished with like three tackles. Jalen Davies and Darren Barkins were just straight up not playing. They both redshirted. Um, and then you've got Jaleel Tucker coming in. There's still optimism around Jaleel Florence. Um, I'm sure there's a couple guys in the portal. I would, that's, this is a position where you, I think you have to hit with the portal. Um, you need some veterans. I, I, I just like to have one guy come in who's got a full year of starting collegiate experience at corner. I mean, that would be that would, to me would put some of these concerns um, at ease because I, I I do look around and go your first game is against Georgia and like I, I know 
Triquez and Dante are both players that were recruited by SEC programs. I think they're big, they're athletic, they're physical. I think there's upside here. But, like, I have seen nothing that leads me to believe they're ready to be starters, starters, like to not be to be more than just fill-ins. So, I mean, they did not perform well in the Alamo Bowl. Um, they both had good moments throughout the season and kind of, you know, in, in, in situational moments. But, like, I'm really concerned. I'm really concerned with this group. I think they have to hit the portal. And I think getting Jaleel Florence in the fold, would be another big win to I mean he I think he and Tucker both come in and contribute right away um, in part because there's nobody else on the roster who's really proven right. yeah I think that is the would you say petrified of the unit petrified yeah I think that's a proper way to describe that um with, yeah with everybody that they lost including you know with Michael Wright and DJ James going um there's just not a lot there there wasn't a lot there to begin with in terms of like what we've seen the past few seasons um and for Jalen Davies and Avante Dickerson and Darren Barkins, like those guys are all very much unproven, but those guys are all like second, second string cornerbacks at the present moment. Um, and we've talked about how the safety position is so loaded that they'll, they'll probably consider moving Brian Addison back to wide receiver um, because they have a lot of talent there and a lot of depth. But like Eric said, this is a, this is a transfer portal position. This is like why the transfer portal was, like was not invented, but you know, why it is a thing is to hit it for these positional needs. Um, there's going to be talent out there. There's going to be an opportunity to bring people in who have experience. Um, I don't necessarily know that there'll be, you know, top end guys um, like how like how Alabama can pull Elias Ricks type of deal. Um, but this is a group that needs help immediately. Um, I still like the prospectus of Dante Manning and Triquest Bridges. They have a lot of physical intangibles that I like. Um, they've had their moments, like Eric said, this year, but they still haven't shown me that I can count on one of them to be a lockdown corner for a half, a drive. And so that's that's very worrisome. Um, I still think that one of them could, could become that. They have the physical mold to be like a lockdown dude, but they just have to, they'll have to figure it out on the field too. And they're both young enough, but... Still, this is a group that just needs to have more depth, 100%. Someone that they could go get that's in the portal that would make a lot of sense and I think has interest in Oregon is Colorado freshman um, cornerback Christian Gonzalez. Uh, mm-hmm. He was recruited by Demetrius Martin out of Texas. Um, Martin is now with the Oregon Ducks. So that right there is um, a – Feather in the cap for Oregon. They've, they've got kind of a connection there. Gonzalez is in the transfer portal. Um, he was an all-conference honorable mention selection this year after playing, uh, I think, in all 12 games for Colorado. Had 53 total tackles, five pass breakups, didn't have an interception, um, though. Was, was a safety coming out of high school, was a four-star prospect that had – Schools like Alabama, uh, Notre Dame extending scholarship offers. And last time I checked, those are two pretty good programs um, to to play the college football sport. Um, Oregon would make a lot of sense here for, for Christian Gonzalez. And Christian Gonzalez would make a lot of sense for Oregon. Um, and it, I think that's probably the one name that's in the transfer portal that I would say has legs and would, would look like something that could possibly happen, which would also benefit Oregon tremendously because 
You're right, Eric. There really isn't any one guy on this list at cornerback that's back. Triquez Bridges, Dante Manning, Devontae Dickerson, Darren Barkins, and Jalen Davies that you look at and say, like, he's a bona fide, legit dude. Um, Jalil Tucker will also be in this group. Uh, he is a four-star corner, um, top 50 player. Maybe, maybe it's him as a true freshman. But I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to rely on true freshmen. I mean, it, that's very risky. Yeah, Oregon has had a, a up and down history with true freshman corners. That's a ton to ask. I mean, I know that's one of the position groups that they say, you know, from like a mental perspective. And I'm not trying to minimize some of the things you have to do on the field, but like a lot of it's just read and react. And so, you don't have to maybe go through quite the same amount of mental gymnastics on each play. A lot of it's just kind of in, intuition and athletic, athletic, uh, I guess, intangibles. So maybe a guy like Tucker or Florence or even one of these young, I mean, all these guys are so young, but maybe one of these guys does step up and it's just like, okay, they've got it. And you feel immediately better. But I, this is where I, Gonzalez is a name that I really like. He fit, fits the profile of what Oregon needs here. I know it's just one year as opposed to, I mean, in a perfect world, you'd get a two or three year starter from, you know, like Arkansas or Vanderbilt or I don't know, uh, Texas Tech, just some like a, like a, like a, a, a guy who started at a non elite program in their conference, but you know, you know, has gone up against elite competition for two to three years and has that track record. That's, that's where I'm concerned. And that's where, what I'd like to see rectified because back 12 is going to, I know the passing offenses were really down in 21. It's going to get better. But it's going to get better. It's going to get potentially a lot better depending upon some of the quarterback play. And like if Caleb Williams decides to come out West, if that actually is a thing, um, kind of looking like probably not but like if, if that kind of thing happens you just you just are going to need top tier corner talent and Oregon has had that for a while like they've had some really good corners and you go look at you know Oregon's players in the NFL defensive back is the position group that they've really had the most probably success in terms of sending guys who've had longevity but right now you don't have that and I have no doubt that they can get there but I do think a guy like Gonzalez or just somebody else from the portal is needed to solidify this because I just don't know how great I would feel going into 22 and it's okay. Nobody has more than two starts and you're expected to go against some really talented guys. Yeah. That's just, that just, again, petrifies me. Yeah. I, yeah. That's the perfect way to end it. Uh, real quick, special teams. I was on the show last time saying that the three position groups, uh, kicker, punter, long snapper, all really good. Eric brought up the fact that, the return or the cover game was not very good. Anything beyond that, Eric, of, of concern here for, from you or Jared from a special teams perspective? Kickoff specialist, maybe, that that was kind of spotty with Camden, and then they made a change in the bowl game, and I don't think Will Hutchinson did poorly, but he did have one go out of bounds. So um, that remains concern. I think one of the things I do think is a positive is you, you are adding Joe Lorig, who's – well-known as a good special teams coordinator, maybe a great yeah. special teams coordinator. Matt Powlich has experience being an above-average special teams coordinator. Even two leadership should help. But I, I, the return game, I'm still – I, I, I want to see a little more pop from that. I didn't think we saw the juice that we'd seen previous years and, and really in 21 or 20 from the return game. You know, you just think about guys like Javon Holland being dudes as returners. Uh, Mikhail Wright in 19 had some awesome returns. Before that, Ugo Mati was really good. You go down the list and think of the DeAnthony Thomases and Cliff Harris's and uh, Kenyon Barners and all these guys that have come through who have been really dynamic return guys. Oregon surely hasn't had that the last couple of years. I like Chris Hudson. I like the potential of Kevin McGee. I think those are two names that are probably 
most prominent for both punt and kickoff return. At least they were at the end of this last season. But yeah, no, I, I, I think that's where I'm concerned. You know, from a coverage perspective, getting some of that stuff maybe I guess in place that's just makes more sense. I don't know schematically changing some personnel stuff there, and then in the return game, I think you need to find some game changers. I think they're on the roster; they just didn't show last year. And I don't know if that was a combination of just bad luck because a lot of times in returns, it's just a thing here, a thing there, a player slips, and it's all about kind of positions. And if a guy's one guy happens to be slightly out of position, the return can have some success. Maybe Oregon had bad luck regarding that. Or maybe there was just a lot of issues with some of the things they were doing schematically, and that will be corrected. I don't know. But I do know that they need to have better success there because it was not – the return game was not good in 22. I think um, – honestly, looking back at it, I think part of the reason the return game just – or at least the return defense wasn't great was – just because of injuries. Um, I know you don't want to have like your first, like your first string guys usually on your, yeah, your kick coverage units, but you do have a few of them. You do have upperclassmen or first string safety stuff or linebackers or just guys who can get down the field really quick. Um, and Oregon couldn't do that. They didn't have the depth to say, Hey, first stringers go out there and try to get the tackle because if those guys were injured they were they were done because they weren't on their first string they were already on their second or third strings and so I think that could be a significant difference in this year's team where they actually can put some first string guys on the line and send them down there and those guys are just better players more experienced etc cetera, etc cetera. and then the Joe Lorig hire is going to help as well um, I think we the fan base and maybe us as well I don't know how you guys felt we're kind of out on on Bobby Williams but towards the end of it because there wasn't any significant improvement. Um, but in terms of the kick returners and kickoff specialists, um, I thought it was cool seeing Will Hutchinson get some reps in, in the Valero Alamo Bowl. Um, I thought he had a pretty good leg. Obviously, he sent one out of bounds, but he also sent one you know, a couple, couple through the end zone, which was nice. Um, uh, returners, it's got to be Hudson or McGee. Um, I think those are two very talented individuals, very shifty um, guys who – especially McGee, who every time you, they have the ball, it's like, well, he, he could break one off here. And if you have that, that scares a defense, that scares the opposing team's coaches. Um, so I think having McGee as like a full-time punt or kick returner, which they had towards the end of the year, um, I think that's really important for them. And they have both of those guys coming back and Hudson and McGee. And so I think that's pretty solidified. I don't really – I don't think that there's any other major concerns for me yet, especially with Camden Lewis having a good year. Um, so that's extremely helpful going into next year. It's like, okay, we have a field goal kicker. That's nice. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to this show. Appreciate you guys. Happy New Year. Um, we'll be back later next week. Um, hopefully breaking down the full coaching staff that's been announced. Um, one coach has had his contract approved, but has not actually been announced yet. So we're waiting on that until then uh, for Eric, for Jared. Uh, thank you for listening to the odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later folks. Peace. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.